Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. Thank you all for being here on this beautiful May day. Not May Day, May Day, but May a Day in May. It's actually what I meant to say. But it does kind of lead me into my talk. Has anybody here, aside from myself, ever felt any anxiety? Uh, maybe a little depression now and then. Maybe a little grief. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. These are certainly feelings that we have. Uh, and I know I feel a little bit OCD sometimes. But I tell people it's not really that. Because what I have, and it's been diagnosed, is CDO. It's like OCD, except the letters are in the right order the way they're supposed to be. So, so I try to make peace with that. Oh, yeah, we joke and, uh, and make fun, don't we, of our human experience. And, and humor is a really great way to get through the humor, the human experience, as you all know, because when you're going through a rough time, a uh, joke, a laugh, a, a chuckle somehow, somehow makes it possible to, to keep going and keep doing what you need to be doing to get through whatever's going on. Well, I'm ever an optimist. That's just kind of how I am. Even when I've been in those other states of mind, there's still this sense of optimism. And that's really, it works for me, and it reminds me how important it is for us to take care of our health in its full sense, our, our mental health, our spiritual health, our physical health. Because uh, when you got your health, you got everything. So it's really important to make all aspects of our health a priority. You know, it reminds me of this famous quote from actress Carrie Washington when she said, I think it's really important to take the stigma away from mental health. My brain and my heart are really important to me. I don't know why I wouldn't seek to have those things as healthy as my teeth. Amen. So simple. And it is a reminder to us that May is Mental Health Awareness Month a month dedicated to the importance of our mental health, and I would add our spiritual health as well, because for us in unity, the two things are intimately connected. And her statement, though, reminds me or brings to mind a question. Where did the stigma about mental health come from? Why is it that there's this notion that we shouldn't talk about those things that just don't feel right or those thought processes that we sometimes have that are confused and don't really bring the results that we desire. Well, according to Medical News Today, mental health stigma can come from stereotypes, which are simplified or generalized beliefs or representations of entire groups of people that are often inaccurate, negative, and offensive. They allow a person to make quick judgments about others based on a few defining characteristics, which they then apply to anyone in that group. Well, I read this bit of definition from Medical News Today, and I thought to myself, that sounds like any other bias or stereotype I could think of. And they're not healthy, are they? Well, when I think about where do these stigma come from, I think one of them is the fact that I think there are two reasons, really. I want to explore these with you a little bit today. The first is the relatively recent birth and development of the sciences of psychology and psychiatry. 
And second, the understanding of the contribution of elements of religion and spirituality to one's well-being. Let's look, take a look here. So for centuries, certain behaviors or experiences were just not understood and perceptions about them arose because they weren't understood and treatments, I'll put that in quote, came about that, in, uh, that at best were ineffective. And those stereotypes became implanted in our collective consciousness. That if somebody learns differently than the most kids, there must be something wrong with them. Or if somebody thinks differently than the other people, there must be something different or wrong with them. We, we just didn't take the time or didn't know how as a human species to intuit and learn what's really going on. How makes somebody tick? And how can we serve and support these individuals? You know, it takes years to, under, to undo any sort of a stereotype. And psychology and psychiatry both are making great advances in putting forward the sort of experiences that most of us have at some point in our lives as a normal part of our human experience. And unfortunately, science and psychiatry have had some really bad epic fails as well. And these viewpoints get circulated. But here's the good news. That as time has gone on, and I've seen it in my very brief 56 years, that we're talking more and more and more about things that matter and finding ways of helping people be at peace, know their wholeness. It's like our beautiful meditation today that Reverend Sherry reminded us each one of us in our core is whole and complete, connected and included in that which we call God. That is a wonderful thing to know. You know, it's interesting to me, and I've shared this before, and it's worth repeating, especially on a day like today, that the birth and development of unity, science of mind, the other schools of what we call new thought, share the same roots as the science of psychology. Charles Fillmore, co-founder of Unity, and Carl Jung, founder of analytical psychology, both wrote of the interrelationship between psychology and religion. Fillmore said, religion becomes practical and effective in everyday life when it incorporates psychology in its litany. Without religion, psychology is weak in its fundamentals. And without psychology, religion fails to give proper attention to the outlets of its ideals. The fact is that religion, comprehended in its fullness, includes psychology. Fillmore went on to say, and Jesus was a profound psychologist. All right, more on that at a different date. Carl Jung once wrote, too, it is high time for the clergyman and psychotherapist to join forces and meet this great spiritual task of leading individuals to reclaiming their religious outlook. What did he mean by that? I think he meant finding the sacred in everyday life and finding one's connection to the sacred in everyday life. 
because in that experience, we find ourselves connected to something much greater than ourselves that includes us and in which every one of us is an important component part, not separated or divorced from the creative power that God is, but included, enfolded, and I would say loved. One well-known example, the interplay of psychology and spirituality, at least in my way of looking at it, are the 12-step programs of recovering wellness, which often meet at Unity churches and centers and plenty of other churches and centers as well. Many Unity and New Thought students are active in 12-step programs, and even in Unity, we have a prosperity program, the 4T Prosperity Program, which is based on the 12 steps in which the individual is invited to look at her, his or her own addiction to stinking thinking and how that manifests as insanity in their lives and how we might claim our peace of mind in return. Unity has five basic principles. I want to look at a couple of them as it rela they relate to this topic. The third of our five basic principles, which is phrased in many ways, says that we create our reality through the thoughts we hold in consciousness. Here it is, that tacit and implicit understanding of psychology and spirituality melded together. Foundational to our theology is our ability to think and we consider this, as Charles Fillmore, co-founder of Unity, said, humanity's greatest inheritance from the divine. And knowing that that is an inheritance of ours, then we can think about how we think. So that we can look at our thoughts that we're holding and ask ourselves, why am I holding this thought? Where did it come from? Is it really helping me to be the person I want to be? So that we can look at our feelings, which we often say are thoughts that are not yet speech ripe. But what are our feelings? Where are they coming from? Do I like feeling this way? If I do, how can I maintain that? If I don't, how can I change that? You see, we have, as our second principle state, states, that individualized divinity within each one of us, which means we have all the power in the world to change our thinking, change our feeling, which therefore changes our perception of how the world is, how we experience life. Yeah, of course, we can make some level of influence in the external events, like with your job, your family, your friends, your kids, and that sort of stuff. But most importantly, we can change what meaning we are giving to the experience of our lives. So we can look at our situations around us and maybe get a new thought that might help us to leverage a difficult situation into one that's much better, which gets us out of the state of being a victim of this is just how it is, and realizing I have choice, I have options. Might not care for the ones immediately in front of me, but I have them. I can make a new decision. I can go in a new direction. So this great reality that we are creating happens between these things, right here, and I might say right here, and even in our gut where we really feel what's going on. It reminds me of my favorite version of the serenity prayer. And you might know this, and you might even know this version. So it goes like this. God, grant me to accept the people I cannot change. The courage to change the one I can. And the wisdom to know it's me.
yeah, we have that power. And it's related to how we perceive the world, how we think about ourselves, how we feel about ourselves. We have that power. We may not be able to change anyone else. Trust me, I've been trying for 32 years. <laughs> and he's been trying to change. <laughs> no, just kidding. But I always know the one I can change. That's a relief. That's empowering. You know, um, we have this capacity that the scriptures call Christ in you, your hope of glory. But like I said, it's really the restating of our second principle. Our essence is of, is of God. And there's a second part to that. And therefore, we are inherently good. A foundational belief that we put forward in unity is our inherent goodness. Not our inherent badness. Other people teach that. That works for them. But I really like building on the goodness that I am, the goodness that God is. I can do a lot with that. But if I'm busy affirming I'm bad and I'm not good enough, I need to, yeah, it doesn't work so well. That is a sound psychological principle, at least in my book. And, you know, when we discover this thing about our inherent goodness and that our capacity to change, then we can make the change. But I do want to give a shout out for our humanity. You know, the dramas that we have in our lives make for great literature, right? You know, if you bought a book and everybody was happy from page one, it's like, really, I'm not going to read this. Or great music or these wonderful songs we have or these great movies that we watch or country music for that matter. Which reminds me, you know what happens when you play a country song backward? You get your house back, you get your wife back, you get your kids back. I mean, so yeah, there you go. So, you know, that, that's, it, it's old, but it's still funny to me, and I, I appreciate the fact you laughed at it. Yeah. I want to tell you a story about the interplay of sci psychology and mental health and spirituality and unity. And some of you know this. It's, it's my own story in brief. When I first started attending in Unity in 1989, I was a thousand miles from home. I had graduated from college. I'd spent time abroad. I moved to a small southern town. Oh, and then I uh, had to start paying my student loans that were up to here. Oh, that's a drag because I wasn't making very much. And then I was fighting and struggling with my sexuality and came out in that small southern town, burdened with student loans, working a job I didn't like. I was depressed. You may have your own life situations where you realize, oh, I'm depressed. I was very, very depressed in that time. It was awful. Trying to figure out who I am away from my support networks doing a job, technically it was in my field, so yay, not getting paid very much, just wondering how am I gonna get through. Anybody ever have an experience where you wondered how am I gonna get through this? I mean, you have your own set of situations, and it's just, holy Toledo Batman. But then a friend took me to Unity, kind of as a lark, but I knew something had happened, because a year later I said to somebody, I don't remember who, but I remember the words, I don't know if I've been in therapy for a year or if I've been going to church, but I sure feel good about myself. I still had the student loans. I still had the debt. I still was dealing with who I was. And yet, something happened. 
I learned I was inherently good, not bad, in spite of all the drama I had seen on the television pointing fingers at people like me. I learned principles that I could practice, ways that I could think. I learned to, to take hold of this monkey mind that was going spastic and crazy in my mind. I learned that I could substitute prayer for worry. Substitute prayer for worry. I learned that there was a force for good at work in the world, and it was working for me, and I could align with it. And I learned a wonderful affirmation. I am good and powerful. I have the tools to make life wonderful. You might want to affirm that with me. Let's do that. I am good and powerful. I have the tools to make life wonderful. And I had community to help me along. You see, an essential part of my element for me in this process of lifting some very significant depression, it was very significant, was in being surrounded by welcoming, inclusive community, much like the kids create at Zoomy School, the dogs, the cats, the birds, the fish, the guinea pigs. This notion of supportive community is vital in the success of 12-step programs where people come, they're not judged, they're just accepted by others who are on a path, on a journey, sharing their struggles together. Psychologist uh, Zach Mercurial once said, the distress and de desperation caused by feeling unnoticed are well documented. I was noticed in that community. Studies have shown that being seen is necessary to feel like we matter and it promotes mental and emotional well-being, including a reduced risk for anxiety and depression. Which I think is one of the reasons why statistically people who are active in faith communities live longer than those who don't. They have community, people who notice. Of course, we all matter, unless you multiply yourself by the speed of light squared in which case, you energy. I thought it was funny. It comes from Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's an astrophysicist. So, so anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just want to give you some homework as we think about Mental Health Month. And the homework is this. Jump in and get involved in unity. Examine and explore your thinking what do I think? Why do I think that? What do I feel? Why do I feel that? Remember, you have the capacity and the power to change anything you don't like because the inherent power of the universe, God the good, is at the core of who each and every one of us is. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live with the overwhelming anxiety because we have tools and if you do have a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear and angst, for Pete's sake, please ask for help. I know I have. I've made that call. I often encourage people to reach out, find a professional when needed. There are all kinds of amazing tools and processes available to each and every one of us. I mean, I've been in unity for a long time, and I still have my bouts of yuck between the ears. 
But at least I know the truth of who I am. I have accepted a belief about what God is, which allows me to keep persevering, even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of interesting news of the day, and not lose sight of my optimism and my belief that better days are still coming for all of us. Yeah, there, we have challenges in life. And it is every bit as important for us to realize we have the power of spirit within to encounter them. We have community to support ourselves in doing just what is ours to do. And the final part of your homework is this. Whenever you're out somewhere meeting a store clerk at a restaurant, look whoever is serving you in the eye. And if you see their name tag, say their name. Carol, thank you for being with me today. This has been really great. You never know what somebody's going through, what struggles they're working on. But as, as we give one another witness and say, I see you, we have given a blessing. You know, in a world where you can be anything you want, please be kind. Love yourself. Love one another. Peace be with you and namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.